0: Um, I don't usually travel with my pet giraffe. That would be that'd be weird. But he happened to be in my backpack. Um, and then when Pastor Raphael was talking, I thought I would share a quick story. We actually had a student. So he has a he has a Twitter account. We had a Chinese student once come to one of our Friday night events. Never heard of Jesus before. Just had no idea anything about Christianity or the gospel. And he showed up and he's like, "Is Jeffrey here?" And we're like, "Jeffrey." And he re- he's like, "The giraffe." And we're like, yeah? And he's like, can I get a picture with him? And we were, I was like, yeah. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever experienced. And he stayed, and he joined a small group the entire semester. So the staff always jokes that Jeffrey has led one student to Christ before. So it's a crazy story, but that's, that's our giraffe. I'm just going to toss him over there. Thanks, Adam. I'm very, very grateful that Pastor Stan invited me to share with you guys today, and I was also really excited to hear that he was on a sabbatical. I don't know many pastors who deserve it more than him, so your pastor, really great and he works really hard, so I'm excited he gets to take some well-needed time to just rejuvenate and get ready for this coming year. I grew up a little bit about me. I grew up in South Texas, as far south as you could possibly go, and so I grew up right on the border of the United States and Mexico. In my high school, we used to go back then. It was a little safer. We used to go on these hikes deep in the mountains of Mexico. So we would drive about. We'd cross the border. We'd drive about six hours, and we would go to this plot of land that was owned by the local university, and it was up by the mountains. And One day during the week, every year that we went, uh, we went on this one all-day hike. At the time, it it seemed like it was the longest hike I'd ever been on. It was probably only like five miles. But we would hike up the mountain and it just seemed like we would never, ever get there. And then there wasn't that good of a view on the top, so it was kind of anticlimactic. But I remember one particular summer, on the way down the mountain, uh, there is kind of we divided into a faster group and a slower group who just took a little more time to go down. And so I was in the faster group, and we had no adults in our group. So it was just some high schoolers. And we were going down the mountain, and somewhere along the way, we made a wrong turn. We were hiking for a few hours. We had no idea that we were lost. And we had this gum stopper box that once we realized we were lost, we would um, mark it to, like, mark our trail so we wouldn't get even more lost. And the slow group finally made it down the mountain, and they got to camp. And they were upset that we had left, so they were taking their time getting down the mountain. Then they got down and realized that we weren't there. And all of the adults were kind of freaking out a little bit because we should have beat them by a few hours. And we... We were so lost. We had no idea where we were, how we were going to get back. But our leader never stopped looking for us. He searched and he searched and he searched, and it was getting dark and we were a little nervous. We had no supplies. Uh, it was supposed to just be a day hike. And finally, after being lost for over six hours, our leader found us. And it was The best feeling in the world, because whenever I'm lost, I always think this will be a great story, assuming I'm found, but that's not a guarantee. Um, But today we're going to talk, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, if you want to get your Bibles out. And we're going to talk, this is a chapter about things, thank you, about things that were lost. Jesus, in this parable, was talking about things that were very normal to his listeners. And then he reframes him reframes them to teach his listeners more things about himself, more things about the kingdom of God, and more things to teach him about how to live a kingdom life. And it's the only parable that's repeated three times in a row, as if Jesus is saying, pay attention because this is really important. So it's a story about three things that were lost a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And it's all fun to tell stories about things that we have lost, especially when we found them or when we've been the one found. But what does it look like when God is the one who is searching? And what does he do when he finds it? So I'm going to give you the main point up front today, and that's this, that when you lose something valuable, you never stop looking for it. So let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we have the freedom to worship you without fear, without persecution, and in a place, Lord, that is not prone to violence, God. And I pray, Lord, that as we hear these parables, that you would help us not just to be hearers, but to be doers. And I pray that when you speak today, let all other voices be silent. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So to get some context before we jump in today, Luke chapter 14, in the chapter right before, Jesus is talking to this crowd on the terms of discipleship. He was explaining to the crowd what it would take to follow him. And Jesus says some pretty harsh things about the cost of following him, and this polarizes the crowd. On one side, you have the Pharisees, the religious folks, who are kind of appalled at the things that Jesus was saying. And then on the other side of the crowd, you had the sinners, the tax collectors, and they were very drawn to what Jesus had to say. And the Pharisees, they were upset and they were confused, asking Jesus, why are you so in love with sinners? Why would you let a prostitute cry and kiss your feet? Why would you eat with tax collectors? Why Do you care about these people? And Jesus always answers the question with, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And in Luke 19.10, he says that the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. So then we start chapter 15 with the parable of the lost sheep. And it says in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I want to pause here for a second because Jesus right now is talking to a group of rural countrymen. At least for me, I require a lot of context to grasp what's happening here. But these guys would have been nodding in agreement. And Jesus doesn't have to convince them of this. Like, of course, if if they lost one of their sheep, of course they would find it. That's second nature to them. Because here is what we know about shepherds. We know that the sheep were their livelihood. We knew that they lived with their sheep. They traveled with their sheep. Their sheep knew their voice. And when they would see all of their sheep and realize that one was missing, of course they would look for the sheep that they had lost. There was no other option for them. And Everyone in the crowd would have been listening to Jesus and they would have known exactly what he was talking about. So verse 5 says, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus often, in the Gospels, he spoke in parables. And parables are often stories that work on two different levels. So everything, there's a surface story, and then there's a story that's much deeper. So on the surface level, the people would have been listening and nodding because they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And I think for us, when most of us think of sheep, at least when I do, I imagine that one popular picture of Jesus where he's holding the baby lamb in his arms. Have you guys seen that one? But my friend uh, Eli, he says that whenever he reads this passage, he thinks of um, Liam Neeson and Taken. Has anyone seen Taken? He thinks of this search and rescue Jesus. Like, I have a very particular set of skills, and I will find you. That is the Jesus that we're reading about. And a couple of facts, quick sheep facts for you guys. An average sheep would weigh about 160 to 180 pounds, so the size of, of a full-grown adult. And odds were that this shepherd would have to walk miles and miles to find this sheep. And when he found this sheep, he would lift it over his shoulders, 160, 180 pounds, lift it over his shoulders. The sheep would often not cooperate and so would probably bite him a lot. And he would walk for miles and miles back and he would joyfully be singing praises, which is not how I would react. I'd probably just let the sheep go. But... This is the kind of thing that Jesus was talking about. And being a shepherd was such difficult work. It was such mind-numbing work. And I wonder if in all of this, the sheep probably didn't even know that he was missing. It reminds me of a story a couple years ago. We had an Easter extravaganza at our church. And one of the mothers that I knew ran up to me. And she had this panicked look on her face. And she's like, I've lost my son, Hugh. And her son was 18 months old at the time. And she's like, he was just here, and now he's gone. And if you're a parent, you can identify with that sinking pit in your stomach when you don't know if you'll ever find that thing again. And so everybody, most people, dropped everything that they were doing to search for this little boy. And for the people who didn't, it was kind of in that mindset like, what kind of person are you that you wouldn't look for this kid who's missing? They just assumed that somebody else would find him. And we searched and the minutes kept ticking. We were looking everywhere. They made an announcement um, over the speakers to just drop what you were doing and find this kid. And after 10 minutes, which is an eternity when you're missing your toddler, we found him playing with some toys under the volunteer table and all of that time, the little baby didn't know he was lost. The one that was suffering was his mother, the one that was looking for him, unsure if she would ever find him. And all the while, he didn't even know that he was missing. So Jesus continues on the parable, the second parable in verse 8. says, Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Remember my intern year with Chi Alpha before we go on staff. We have to complete a year of internship. And I was at a Thanksgiving conference with some international students over the Thanksgiving break. And it was time for us to go. And my friend, who was also an intern, could not find his keys anywhere. And this was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Um, So there was no place to call to come and get another set of keys. All the car dealerships were closed. We searched the entire camp could not find the keys. So at this point, everybody kind of left without us. And then the camp closed down. And this was in winter. Um, so we were outside. We were very cold. We were supposed to be fasting that day, and then somebody came and dropped pretzels off for us, and we ate the whole bag because we were very hungry and cold and lost. And at one point, we had started to be surrounded by deer, which was, it was very not related to the story at all, but very surreal feeling. And we called this guy who was supposed to come and do whatever he does to, to make a new key for the car because we had just accepted that this key was lost. And this guy would call us every 30 minutes. He's like, I'm going to be there, man. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to be there. Ten more minutes. Ten more minutes. And hours and hours passed, and this guy is not coming. And he kept calling and reassuring us that he would, in fact, show up. And he never did. And we knew that if we did not have this key, that... We, weren't, we were not going to be stuck there. There is no way we recognized the value of this key. And eventually, just to end the story, he found out that, I guess, in some old cars, there's like a little box that attaches to the bottom that has spare keys. We didn't know that at the time. But after seven hours, we finally found one, and we were so relieved. And nothing could express the joy that we were not going to be stuck outside in that camp until this guy had finally decided to show up. And so at this point, Jesus has told two stories. And the listeners would have understood exactly what he was talking about. They would have been eagerly anticipating what he was going to say next because they could tell that he was leading them to something important, that he had started with these things that they were very familiar with. He had started with the lost sheep, the lost coin, two things that they understood how valuable these things were. And they knew that Jesus was leading them to a place where they could understand what has the most value, what has the ultimate value. And in the end, Jesus is not talking about sheep or coins, but he instead is leading them to recognize that people are infinitely valuable, that they are worth all, more than all the world. And what is our response? What do we do when we find them? We find that out in the third part of the parable. A lot of us know this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. It says in verse 11, Jesus continued, There is a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now in this culture, to ask for the inheritance while your father was still alive was completely unheard of, and he was basically telling his father in that moment that I wish you were dead. This was not, this was not a good relationship. This was not a strong relationship that they had. In verse 13, it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant land, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. In that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And at this point, the audience would have probably gasped with what Jesus was saying, because in Jewish culture, there would have been nothing lower, there would have been nothing more disgraceful than to find work at a pigsty let alone wish that you were eating the things that the pigs had eaten this in that culture would have been viewed as the sun hitting rock bottom verse 17 when it came to his senses he says he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and i am here starving to death i will set out and go back to my father and say to him father Something something that I wonder when I read this, and this is just conjecture. It's not in the Bible. I don't know any of this. But I wonder if the father, every day in the morning as he walked out, looked down the road and hoped that one day his son would come home. I think that's what a lot of parents in his situation would do. And how must he have felt that day when he looked down the road and saw that his son who was lost was finally coming home. So he runs, to his, he runs to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. In verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you killed the fatted calf for him. And this is what the father says. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And on, on the surface of these parables, They're about valuable things that were lost. But if we look deeper, Jesus is talking about the depth to which the Father will seek you until you are home. And God wants us, and he wanted the people, the crowds that he was speaking to, to know that people have value, and they have the ultimate value, and that he will lavishly celebrate, and the angels in heaven will celebrate because of your homecoming. And they celebrated when you came home. I think sometimes we overlook that our God is a God of celebration. And each of these parables, they involved a celebration. They involved a party and rejoicing when the thing that was lost was found. That the God of the universe, the creator of everything that is and was, rejoiced. And he threw a party for each of us when we came home and what about the son what about the one who had never left his side And I'll read again what he says he says my son you are always with me and everything I have is yours all the riches of grace and love is already yours he's saying that you can't earn something that you already have you can't earn something that's already been freely given to you. This brother could never earn anything from his father because everything his father had was already his. In the parables, one of the things that we need to do is try to identify who the main characters are, who the major players are. And I think there might have been a time when I would read these parables and I would think that the main characters were the lost sheep the lost coin, and the lost son. But then I realized that each of the main characters in these stories is the shepherd, the woman, and the father. And what Jesus is trying to communicate to us is that God is the main character in these stories and that the people and things that he was looking for had value. And he loves it so much, there's nothing more that he loves when lost things come home. What we see from these stories today that this is the very heart of God, that people would come home and share in his inheritance with him. And the Pharisees, they were appalled that Jesus would associate with these people, would associate with these people who were lost. Why do you heal them? Why do you save them? Why do you feed them? And so the answer to that question is that God is the one who suffers the most when his children are lost. Just like in that moment when we were looking for little Hugh, it was his mother that, of everybody searching, was the one in the most agony. Why do we seek the lost? Because Jesus did, and because God suffers at the fact that they're lost. And we see in this parable something interesting. We see that God is not content with 99%. So we have at Georgetown University around 6,000 students. And if 99% of those showed up to Open Table, which is our weekly service, I don't know that many of us would be itching for service to be over, So that we could go find the 1% who didn't show up. If you think about what would happen if 99% of Rockville, Maryland came here on a Sunday. How many of us would be seeking and praying for that 1% who's not here? Yet we see in this parable that that's the heart of God. That we would go out and that we would find the one. Because God is not interested in having a crowd, and he doesn't look at you as a number. He looks at you as someone who is precious to God, who is precious to him. And it's like these two sides of a coin that God suffers so much when one of us is lost. And on the other side of the coin, we see that he celebrates lavishly when one of us is found. I used to get really nervous when I would be around people who I thought were a big deal. And one time I shared an elevator with uh, our basketball coach, JT3, and his dad, John Thompson Jr. Back at that time, our basketball team was still good, so it was a bigger deal than it might be now. But I remember being so nervous, and then I became a pastor. And I realized that every single person that I meet is immensely valuable. And that levels the playing field, but way up here, to know how valuable every single person is to Jesus. And this larger point that Jesus was making in these parables is that if the shepherd does that for the sheep, if the woman searches that intently for a coin, if the father is that excited, to see his son come home, then how much more is our Heavenly Father excited when one of us comes home? And how much more does he search and seek us out until he finds us? It's as if he's telling us, that this one is precious to me. And you fight for him. You chase him down when he runs. And you bring them back. And we cannot treat the people who are infinitely precious to God with flippancy. C.S. Lewis, he has this quote, he says, Is it possible that you and I could be a real ingredient in the story of divine happiness? Could we really put a smile on the face of God? And Jesus is inviting us to do just that. He's inviting us into his inheritance. And he's inviting us into this mission to seek and save the things that were lost. And I think that we as a church can have this bifurcated mission where we desire the people who are around us, the people in our area, to come and be a part of the party. But that we can also pray and give so that the people across the world, to all of these countries that these flags and the ones not represented are, that we could desire that they come to the party too. And I think we need to ask ourselves these hard questions. Are we treating people who are precious to God with flippancy? Do we look at people and in our minds think, well, they're they're too far gone to ever be saved? I know that I have made that mistake before. And I shared shared a story last time that I was here, but I'll share it again. There was a student when I was a senior, and she was a freshman, and I was her RA. And she was the last person that I ever thought about inviting to Chi Alpha. She was the last person I ever thought would be interested in God or faith. And she was very involved in drugs and alcohol. Just very involved in a culture that seemed so far from Christ. And then one of our students, um, her name's Johanny, invited her to service one day. And Johanny had just felt, she had been praying a lot that year, that God would send her one person that she could disciple and that she could tell them who Jesus was. And she felt that that person was Kim. And over the years, Kim, she joined a small group. She gave her life to Christ, and she became a leader in Chi Alpha. And I think, like, in, in Chi Alpha, you never really know how successful you are until years down the road. But she she texted me, and it was one of the best texts that i ever got. She had just moved to Chicago. We had road tripped over there and took her there. And two days after being there, she found a church to be a part of. And we were talking, and she told me that she had to go to small group now. And now she's she's teaching a class. She's teaching younger students about Jesus. She works at a Catholic school. And she told me that the class, uh, she has to teach a theology class. And she's like, it's just like leading small group. And she was talking about all the passages that she was going to say and all the stories about Jesus that she was going to tell them. Can you imagine how happy that makes God to see one of his children who was lost and now is found and is now continuing to seek out people who are lost? And these people, they're all around us, and I, I know sometimes I write people off. But Jesus views these people as infinitely valuable. We need to be a church that celebrates and that knows how to throw a party when people come home. Close with this story. There was a 23 year old in the Royal Navy. And there was a moment in his life where he thought that he would drown in a terrible storm in the Irish Sea. He was a slave trader. So he knew a thing or two about being lost. His name was John Newton. And he told Jesus that night, he said that if he ever made it out of that storm alive, that he would give his life to Jesus. And 300 years ago, he wrote the words to this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, gracious and loving God, thank you so much, God, that you love us so much that you would throw an extravagant party, Lord. Lord, When we come home to you. Lord, and I thank you. That for every time that we run. You're constantly inviting us back. And inviting us into relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart like you have. A heart that breaks when we see things that are lost, God. And I pray that you would give us a heart. That would go and that would seek and that would find, Lord those people who are precious to you. Maybe some people here are lost but would really like to come home. And just ask Jesus to include you in this prayer. Some of y'all are close by. I want you to know that you can always come home. God, just help us who want to come home know that you are have been searching for us our whole lives pray that you help us all to feel you carry us and help us to feel you joyfully take us home God Lord I thank you for your grace that extends over all of us God for every time we fall short I thank you that your grace brings us home and I thank you that you will never stop seeking us When we've gone astray, Lord. Just lift up all of these things, Lord. And all of these people in here, Lord. And all of these people who are not in this room today, Lord. I thank you that you've created each of us with a purpose, God. You've created each of us to be infinitely valuable. And all of these things I pray in your name. Amen.
1: Praise the Lord. What a gentle voice and message that she shared about lost and found. And I love how she pointed out that it's about the three people. We, we often look at the sheep. We look, look at the coin. We look at the lost son. But she pointed out the shepherd. She pointed out the woman. And she pointed out the father. And, you know, God gets so excited when we uh, when a person gives their life to him. God gets excited if you have pulled away from God. Some of us, you know, we don't, we're not perfect. Some of us make mistakes. Sometimes we get further away from our relationship with him, and when we come back to him, he's celebrating. He's there with arms wide open, receiving us and and blessing us. And so what a great uh, message. Give another hand clap for Bonnie Duncan. And that's what that's what Kaiafa does. They are in the universities. they have services I think, do you guys have on Wednesday nights a service um, Wednesdays, Thursday. Wednesday nights? And what they do is they gather the, the students from the school and they w- welcome to come and join the services that they have on campus. And this is like having a church on campus in a secular school. This is not a Christian university. This is a secular university that allows her to minister there. So that's a great mission field to be in. And what a great call of God to have that, to be able to be a light in that community, in that university. And Georgetown University is a great place. The national, you know, that's the capital of the United States of America, right? D.C. What a great location. And God has blessed blessed her and put her in that situation. So that's a great place to be. And uh, we, we applaud you. We thank you very much for joining with us this morning. I want us to end with a, with a, a worship song. Um, so the team could come up and lead us in a song of praise. And I want us to just lift up our hands to worship the Lord. And that, but before that, I want to pray for you. If we could all stand to our feet, bow our heads. As we get, some of us are traveling to uh, different states for the